0: Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American. They flipped the on switch for the Large Hadron Collider this week. We'll talk with Nobel Prize winning physicist Frank Wilczek about the LHC. And then we'll get some commentary from Scientific American editor George Musser. Frank Wilczek is the Hermann Feschbach Professor of Physics at MIT. In 2004, he won the Nobel Prize for discovering what's called asymptotic freedom in the theory of the strong force, which holds subatomic particles together to make protons and neutrons in the atomic nucleus. For more on that, check out the May 3, 2006 edition of Science Talk. Wilczek was on the Scientific Advisory Committee of the LHC for six years Forgive the sound of my voice on the telephone connection. I flipped a switch incorrectly, and my voice is a little overmodulated, but don't worry, I don't say too much. Dr. Wilcheck, thanks very much for talking to me today. My pleasure. Uh, l- let's get to the most important thing first. How is your opera career going?
1: <laughs> my opera com- uh, career has moved into the... Um the realm of the ideal. I think
0: <laughs> you you did sing opera in where was it Austria a couple of years ago?
1: Yes, yes. Well, uh, uh, light opera, light opera, <laughs> light opera. <laughs> and it was uh, it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, speaking of light, let's let's move on to the subject at hand. Uh you, you, it's all over the news the last few days. The Large Hadron Collider. Let's let's talk to people who are just hearing about this kind of material for the first time very quickly give me the give me the 1 minute explanation of what any kind of particle collider what they used to call an atom smasher when i was a kid uh, tell us what that does
1: well it's an instrument for allowing us to study the most basic processes of nature as they occur uh, at very short distances or very high energies so that's the the goal that the uh, teleological explanation of what's going on at an accelerator. Now, what you actually do is bring particles, in the case of the Large Hadron Collider protons, the nucleus of hydrogen atoms, you accelerate particles so that they're moving very, very rapidly. They have a very large energy in their motion. Now, uh, at, the, at the Large Hadron Collider, the LHC, the protons will be accelerated uh, to within a part in a billion of the speed of light, so uh, very, very close to the limiting velocity. They'll, they'll be moving around but guided by magnetic fields in a gigantic uh, circle, 20, 26 kilometers or 17 miles around. There'll be two beams moving in opposite directions, and at a few points, the beams will cross so that the protons moving in opposite directions can collide. In those collisions, an enormous amount of energy then will be uh, concentrated in a very small volume, and that's what allows us to access these short distances. And so it's, so it's like kind of a giant microscope to see what what goes on uh, in empty space when, uh, when you look at very short distances over very short times.
0: And when you, when you smash the particles together, and by the way, at these speeds, how long does it take for them to make the trip around the 17, uh, miles? Oh, uh, I don't remember actually, but it's not, it's, uh, it's- He's doing the computation. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little slow. It's well, early in the morning. <laughs> the point, the point being that it, it is a tiny fraction of a second. That's a very tiny fraction of a second, right? right. right. Uh, so, <laughs> so now, and and when they smash together, all kinds of things happen. You get all kinds of other particles that come off and uh, that get created and then vaporize in an instant. And and this gives us basic information about the structure of the universe. Yes. Okay, now what is a hadron other than a Roman emperor?
1: Well, a hadron <laughs> a had a hadron uh is a uh an atomic if, is a, a particle that is made out of quarks and gluons, a particle that participates in the strong interactions. So, uh in the first instance, a hadron is uh, a proton Proton is is the, the prototype hadron the and that's the one that's really uh, that's in the lHC okay, so normally, but also to explore other aspects of the interact of the fundamental physics from time to time the uh, accelerator will accelerate other things than than protons that is uh, gold nuclei or iron nuclei. So we use a, a more inclusive term that hadron that includes both protons and heavier atomic nuclei.
0: Okay, so for the most part, though, the LHC will be a large proton collider. That's right. Sounds good. Now, in in a Scientific American article that came out earlier this year, you were quoted as uh, saying that the LHC is going to be uh, instrumental in bringing about a hopefully a golden age of physics. What is so special about the LHC compared with the various other particle accelerators, atom smashers that are currently in existence around the world?
1: Well, our equations have been pointing us to the belief, the expectation that the LHC is getting to probe the the distances where new basic processes of nature will be revealed. We have a very powerful, uh, very accurate theory of of normal matter, which usually called the standard model, or um, I call it the core theory. Standard model sounds awfully boring, but the equations of the standard model are incomplete. They haven't been tested in some of their most remarkable uh, consequences. They are based on the idea that despite appearances, what we call space and experience as emptiness in everyday life, Is actually a highly structured medium that's full of stuff. It's as if we're fish in an ocean that uh, affects how how we move, how fast we can get around. But since we live with it in it every day, we think of the ocean as just the normal state of affairs. But our eventually being smart fish, we realize that there's some material that's affecting the way we move, and what. The LHC, is, is in this uh, analogy, is the instrument that's uh, going to allow us to uh, see what the atoms of water are, tell us what this medium that we're immersed in is made out of. And that's called looking for the Higgs particle, because the simplest idea about what it is is that it's a new particle that builds up this ocean we, we live in. But it doesn't have to be just one particle. In fact, I think the more... Interesting ideas indicate that it's not just one particle; that it's several. That it's the the medium is made out of several things, and maybe a whole new world of phenomena that uh, will be revealed as we have enough resolution, enough discrimination to finally uh, see what this medium we're immersed
0: in is made out of. Right, because you're a supersymmetry guy, so there's right. a, there's going to be a lot of new particles out there for you.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, the, the next idea, which is slightly more speculative, well, a lot more speculative, but, uh, but I think very is compelling is that we, we know ways to make our current very accurate but somewhat lopsided uh, equations that are based on the idea that there are several fundamental forces into a new synthesis in which all the different forces uh, appear on the same footing what we call a unified field theory. Uh, we have ideas for achieving that that really look very compelling, I think, that uh, even have some quantitative success, but the success so far is indirect. Fortunately, uh, the same ideas predict very concrete new phenomena, new par- a whole new world of particles that have to be... Uh, accessible at the LHC, and so these wonderful ideas that we've been entranced by for 25 years and the kind of thing that Einstein dreamed of, uh, unifying the forces, uh, now, is, now is the time of testing. Now we'll see if those ideas have been uh, on the right track, whether nature is, with with all these hints has been teaching us or just teasing us.
0: Well put. The um, The Higgs particle or the Higgs boson gets a lot of mention in uh general media articles as the yes. thing the first thing that they're gonna really hope to find at the LHC. Yes. Can you for for people who don't know anything about it, can you just explain a little bit more about what that Higgs thing is out there? Yes. Our
1: equations are most naturally formulated in terms of uh particles and fields that that have zero mass. But in the world, particles don't have zero mass. And the way we reconcile the two is by saying that really the particles in themselves do have zero mass, but they're moving through a medium that slows them down. This is the analogy I was talking about before with fish that are moving through an ocean. Mm-hmm. They, they figure out finally that something's been slowing them down. And the thing that's slowing them down is us, the particles down, is some kind of medium. And uh, we know some of the properties of the medium, but we uh, only have guesses about its atomic constitution, you know, what it's really made out of. Uh, The simplest guess is that it's made out of a new kind of particle called the Higgs particle. So just one new kind of particle. But the other ideas about unification that I mentioned and supersymmetry suggests that it's a little that it's more complicated that there are at least several different kinds of particles involved you know like hydrogen and oxygen in uh, in water or water also has impurities so but we're going to find out anyway what this medium is made out of
0: so let's take just a minute uh, thanks very much for for talking us through these kinds of basic points about the LHC let's take just a minute I know you have a new book out the lightness of being yes tell us about the book. Well, it's a book that describes
1: the riches of, of modern physics, of uh, the, the very surprising uh, reality that we live in, and and uh, I hope a way that that uh, will enrich people's understanding of the world they live in. so the, the way I weave through all this stuff is through the concept of mass. So I start by describing how we understand the origin of mass of ordinary matter, or normal matter, the stuff you and I are made out of, uh, really starting from constituents that have zero mass, realizing Einstein's dream of reducing mass to energy, explaining how mass arises uh, from energy, which is a more basic concept, but really understanding that, uh opens up whole new worlds of ideas and syntheses because it explains for instance why gravity one of the basic forces of nature uh, appears to be very very different and very very much weaker than the other forces gravity responds to mass so when you res- when you understand mass more deeply you start to understand gravity more deeply these ideas all come together with uh, the underlying concept that what appears to us as empty space is a rich dynamical medium. And that dynamical medium uh, kind of hides from us the underlying simplicity and unity of nature. And now that we're starting to understand what empty space really is, and uh, we can correct for the distortions that it, it introduces, and get this, uh, vision of an underlying unity and symmetry among all the different forces of nature that, uh, we're going to find out very soon, uh, if it's correct and if it is, uh, well, we'll be, we'll be ecstatic (laughs) and realize that we're in, uh, a, a truly marvelous ideal mathematical world that, uh, I think adds to takes our understanding of what of reality to a new level.
0: So, what do you think? More fun to be a physicist today or in nineteen o five?
1: Well, we'll see. <laughs> I don't want to compare one golden age to another, but if we're lucky, uh, it'll make the world appear a, a very beautiful place.
0: Frank Wilczek's website is www.frankwilczek.com. That's W-I-L-C-Z-E-K. Scientific American editor George Musser has been following the development of the LHC since it was a gleam in physicists' eyes. I spoke to George about the LHC at our offices. George, why is this such a big deal? Why is, why is the science community really excited about the startup of the LHC.
2: Well, it, it's for a number of reasons. First of all, this is the biggest, most expensive scientific instrument in history. This is this is the Apollo project of physics. It's been a long time in coming. There's been a lot of disappointments along the way. You know, the super superconducting super collider,
0: the one that was supposed to go in, it'd be built in Texas, right?
2: What, 15, 20 years ago at this point? Yes, that's right. Yeah. It. Was proposed. They dug a hole in the ground. Two billion dollars was poured into said hole, <laughs> and now, no nothing there. Although a lot of the technology that was developed for that is now winding up at the the CERN lab okay. for the LHC, so it's not a total lost cause. But still, physicists have now had to wait fifteen years to probe into the next energy realm. That they wanted to get to. Mm-hmm. They're one that will take them really beyond the standard model of physics.
0: And, uh, let's, let's take just a second. You know, I, I've, I heard some, uh, headlines this morning. We're talking on Tuesday, the 9th. Uh, even on the venerable BBC, not to mention WCBS radio here in New York City. And both headlines were about the LHC and they both went something like this. The LHC is ready to start up tomorrow and it's going to either uh, reveal secrets of nature heretofore unknown or it'll destroy the world.
2: Well, those are the only two options we've got. I guess we're good to go. Here.
0: I, I was actually really kind of peeved that they're, yeah. the, I mean, I understand why they do it. They're, they're trying to attract listeners, but it makes it sound like it's a 50-50 shot <laughs> and Some of the, uh, some of the press attention to the collider is dwelling on the possibility of the creation of these mini black holes that could become, that could grow and, you know, destroy the entire planet solar system. But so why don't we talk just for a moment about why, why that's really press sensationalism?
2: Yeah. I think it, it, I think the scientific community and science journalists bear a little bit of responsibility for that perception among the public, because we always talk about the LHC as recreating conditions not seen since the Big Bang. And you would therefore think if there hasn't been an energy level like that seen since the Big Bang, then all the phenomena of the Big Bang might be unleashed upon us, these black holes possibly being one, because people do talk about black holes having been created in the early universe. The only difficulty... Tiny little black holes. teeny little ones. And the way I like to call them is they're tortured souls. If you think of your big cosmic sinkholes as the monsters of the cosmos, these little black holes are the tortured souls. They just go pop. They're, They're harmless. They'll just evaporate almost as soon as they're made. In fact, they'll evaporate so quickly that even if the collider could make them, which is already questionable, they would disappear before the instruments could register their existence all you would see would be the debris that they would they would spew out now it's a question whether they can even be made people debate that there has been some talk among string theorists in particular that the collider might in the most optimistic to them of cases create black holes they would then go pop before they could cause any damage um uh, the concern that people had was that they might not go pop they might Linger, they might continue to exist and start to suck things in. Even if that were true, which is probably not the case, they're so tiny that they they just don't have enough sucking power to them. It would take a long time, billions of years even, for them to, to grow to an appreciable size. So that is the worst possible case scenario.
0: The worst case scenario is we actually do create the doomsday machine
2: But it takes a few billion years before it has any effect. Exactly. By which point, of course, the Earth is already toast by the sun and so forth. Now, the the, the difficulty with even getting to that worst-case scenario is that the very laws of physics that predict the creation of the black holes also predict their destruction. So it would seem pretty perverse for nature to allow their creation and not their destruction. That would mean the physics laws that predict them would have to be wrong in a very, very specific way and even if it were to happen you would have billions of years not to so worry figure about it. it out right <laughs>
0: exactly. so so this is just a scientific instrument as massive as expensive as unique and as uh, groundbreaking as it is it's still just a scientific instrument it is not going to destroy the planet yes that's right and in fact it may change the way we look at nature although if it does it'll it'll uh, take a long time probably for that to Kind of sink in to the uh, to the population at large, but these things do happen. When we have major new scientific insights, it does change the way people think. May take decades for that to happen, but it, it does happen.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think I mean, I, of course, I live and read this stuff, so it changes the way I think and changes the way that the scientifically interested public thinks. But I think there's a ripple effect. You drop. Stone it upon, it ripples outward, and that's also the same with scientific discoveries. Who would have thought that quantum mechanics, which in the 1920s was the most esoteric possible discipline you could think of, would have, would account for such a large percentage of our economy today. Lasers, transistors, and all the, all mm-hmm. the like. True. Nanotechnology, and, and so forth. Relativity theory, again, the very quintessence of, of the esoteric who understood it in 1919
0: even. Well, what's the famous quote? There are only three people who understand it.
2: And was it Eddington?
0: I think it was Eddington. And said, said, who are the other two? Right, right.
2: But, of course, even that wasn't really true because even in its time, the physicists and even interested uh, members of the public really caught on to the theory and they, they started to, to grasp its its implications and its, its deep meaning for the universe. But anyway, that... Seemingly esoteric field is now powering a huge fraction of our economy as well. You know, relativity is? Um, special relativity in particular, because special relativity is incorporated into the standard model of, of particle physics. Ah. General relativity is a little bit more out there, but even things like the GPS system, the mm-hmm. global positioning satellites, rely on it for their, for their accuracy. Right, right, okay. It, it, the way I think of the, the propagation of scientific knowledge is in, it's in multiple stages. So there's going to be the initial stage, if they discover new dimensions or new particles or or what have you, of just, wow, isn't that amazing? So there's just that kind of gee whiz stage of it. And then you'll also see those ideas seeping into, into the theories, disproving some, suggesting that others are on the right track, proving some even. And those theories in turn incorporate principles, new laws of nature, new principles of nature, that will I think inform our, our broader culture. Does the uh, the large in large hadron
0: collider does that refer to the collider or to the hadrons? <laughs>
2: um <laughs> to the collider. To the collider. Because the hadrons are all pretty much the same size. <laughs> pretty much, although there is some variation because of the speed right, right. and the energies they have. But they're all ten to the minus fifteen meters across the, the protons and those that's small. pretty small folks yeah. the distances to which they were able to probe the energy that they have the high energy corresponds to short distances that's just a law of quantum mechanics i think it goes down to 10 to the minus 18 or 10 to the minus 19 meters so that's the structure within the proton that they get to so they're able to smash open the protons and new particles will form, will reform from the debris. For fleeting instants? Um, no, some of them could be long-lived. Really? So, for instance, they're trying to create ideally dark matter. That's one of the mysteries of the universe mm-hmm. trying, they're trying to solve with the Hydron Collider is what is the dark matter? Astronomers know what's there, but physicists mm-hmm. have no idea what it is. What particle could constitute the dark matter in the universe? So physicists hope, astronomers hope, everyone hopes that the Collider could actually create the dark matter. And the dark matter is a stable particle. So it would just fly out of the, of the accelerator, would just go to deep space. And what would the evidence for it be? It would be missing energy. So they, what they would do is they would actually, the physicists would take all the measurements they've made, add it all up, extrapolate back and just try to put the pieces back together and see what came out of the collision of the of the protons. And in some cases, they might notice that there was just a gap. They could only account for maybe 80% of the energy of the collision, 20%, no matter how hard they looked, or just 20% that was lost. And of course, energy is not ever lost. It's only converted from one form to the other. So the deduction from then would be that the 20% or whatever percent was taken away by it a particle that escaped. So the next few months,
0: couple of years, is going to be very exciting in the world of particle physics. Definitely. Years,
2: probably. I mean, the thing that's happening this week, they're just starting it up.
0: Right. The beam is being tested. We're not even
2: smashing anything into each other not yet. Not even smashing. The smashing doesn't occur for a couple of weeks yet. And then right. they, they shut the thing down in November because of the energy cost of running it. They need to actually heat the city of Geneva as well, and they need to use the energy for ordinary of uh, uses
0: it takes that much energy that your options are run the collider or heat Geneva yes <laughs> that's pretty amazing
2: so they'll shut it down pick it up again in the spring and then they'll actually ramp up to the full energy level the first goal that they'll have is simply to rediscover the particles they already know they'll rediscover the standard model the electron the whole gaggle of particles of the model and is that a test of the collider it's a test of the collider it's a test of the theory. It also sets a a benchmark of measurements because they'll measure it to that greater precision than Mm -hmm. what they already have. And therefore, any deviations from those predictions will be be more significant. Mm
0: -hmm. What's the next instrument on the drawing board after the LHC?
2: Well, the next biggie is the International Linear Collider. We've had an article about that as well in February. February 2008. That's right. And it is a follow-on instrument to the Large Hadron Collider. The Large Hadron Collider is really your, your pioneer setting out into the new frontier and trying to just find out what's there. And then the ILC, this new one, if it's built, would be kind of the consolidator. It would make precision, make precise measurements of all of those particles that had been discovered. And in a sense, actually, that's where a lot of the big discoveries will come, is from that ILC, because of the precision it, it, it can attain.
0: So we start with the LHC. That gives us the energy levels we've never seen before. And then the next instrument will give us the precision that we haven't had. Exactly. So th- that one hasn't even,
2: th- there are plans, but th- they haven't even broken ground for that. No, day, no, no. Day. But there, there was, there's a consortium now of the three main, um, countries or, or groups of countries, the, you know, the European Union, the US and Japan that are really putting the bill for the collider and would be this one of the three sites. Would be the site in one of those three countries for the collider. And they've already kind of consolidated and kind of pooled their resources. So that initial step is almost the hardest is getting the three countries to agree on anything. Mm-hmm. And they've done that. So the human side has kind of, the bureaucratic side has kind of been taken care of. And now it's a question of getting the money and meeting the technical challenges.
0: So we're going to have lots of new particle physics fun to talk about for many years to come. Oh
2: yeah, my, my job is safe.
1: Tunnel underground, designed with mine to send protons around a circle that crosses through Switzerland and Sixty nations contribute to scientific advance. Two pieces of protons swing round through the ring, they ride till in the hearts of the detectors they made it collide. And all the energy packed in such a tiny bit of room becomes mass, particles created from the vacuum. And then
0: now it's time to play totally bogus. We're going to mix it up a little this week. Usually we have four science stories, but only three are true. This week, to make it easy. All the stories are fake, so don't bother to see if you know which story is totally bogus. Story 1, the LHC will destroy the world. Story 2, from the time he was a young boy, Frank Wilczek was educated at the finest private schools money can buy. Story 3, the Hadron is in fact named after the Roman Emperor Hadron. And Story 4, George Musser is a complete idiot. Time's up, Story 1 is totally bogus. As we noted, the LHC will not destroy the world. And as George Musser wrote to me after we recorded the interview, quote, I said something to the effect that scientists had stoked concerns about black holes by saying the LHC would create particles not seen since the Big Bang. But those particles have been seen since the Big Bang, namely in natural processes such as cosmic ray collisions. Therefore, if black holes posed a threat, the universe would already be a goner. Story two is totally bogus. Frank Wilczek went to public schools in New York City. He's a graduate of Martin Van Buren High School in Queens. So is futurist Ray Kurzweil. Listen to the June eighteenth, two 2008 episode of Science Talk for a discussion about why Ray Kurzweil will probably not achieve his dream of uploading all the contents of his brain. Story three is totally bogus. There was no Roman Emperor Hadron. There was a Roman Emperor Hadrian, and you can still see his wall today in Northern England. Hadrian's wall was roughly four times the length of the LHC's beam path. And story four is totally bogus. George Musser is not... A complete idiot, but he is the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to String Theory. For more on the book, check out our conversation on the July 16th, 2008 episode of Science Talk. George is, in fact, a very bright guy and a terrific dancer. That's why. Well, that's it for this edition of the weekly Siam Podcast. Visit Siam.com for all the latest science news, videos, and blogs. We gave you two episodes this week, so we're taking next week off. We'll be back with a fresh episode on September twenty-fourth. For Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American. I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. If the Hicks they ought to see it right away. And if it doesn't, the scientists will finally say no we need no physics to appear. Subtitles